Welcome back to Theologically Speaking, a podcast of BJU Seminary. I'm your host, Eric Newton, and we find ourselves right on the verge of the Thanksgiving holiday here in 2020. Uh, It's always one of my favorite seasons, and certainly this year in 2020, it's significant, not in this regard because of COVID and all the things that we find ourselves having talked about a lot this year, but actually because it's the forehand. 400th anniversary of something very significant, and that, of course, is the landing of the pilgrims here in the New World. So uh, we have with us today uh, Dr. Mark Sidwell, who is professor of history here at BJU. He teaches church history courses. He's the author of several books, including a a two-volume set, uh, Faith of Our Fathers, uh, Sketches from Church History, and Sketches from American Church History, which he's written some about these founding years in our nation's history, as well as uh, Dr. Neil Cushman, who is Professor of New Testament and Dean of Seminary. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Uh, so I think it would be uh, an obvious but an important place to start to ask this question. We're talking about the 400th year of the pilgrims uh, coming to America. Uh, who were the pilgrims, Dr. Sidwell? Well, the pilgrims were a group of English separatists, which is something you have to define right there. Uh, They were a group of Protestants uh, who had become um, concerned about the Church of England, and it came came to the conclusion, ultimately, that the thing they had to do was to leave it, to separate from it, hence the name separatist. There actually are a lot of different separatists uh, in that general movement, but the particular pilgrims were a congregation that had uh, actually left England for a time, lived in the Netherlands for a time, and then finally uh, decided to go to the New World and where they founded the Plymouth Colony, for which we remember them. Uh, Who were some of the uh, significant leaders in those early days? I'm thinking even before they arrived here in the New World, um, pastors, people who led them from England over to Holland initially. Well, the most famous was their pastor, John Robinson, Uh, who actually never made it to the New World, though he had hoped to join eventually, but he did lead him to the Netherlands. Robinson, fortunately, we have a lot of his writings and sermons that are left, so we have a a view into his heart and mind more than some of the pastors of his time. He was a very, really accomplished uh, theologian, uh, very uh, careful and in his study and his, his preaching and teaching of the word. So he was probably the main figure, in fact. I, I guess he's kind of the, the pilgrim who never came to the New World, but who probably had about as large a, a role in their formation as anybody did. So, um, you know, we think of the pilgrims, uh, at least I do, often in terms of the result. Uh, but there was this long process of getting from where they were uh, to where they ended up, and then sort of the history of the, of the New World. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what led them to be willing to leave their homes, actually twice, uh, from England and then from the Netherlands, in order to establish uh, a new setting in, in which to live. Either of you have comments about that. Um, what drove the pilgrims to do what they did? Well, I, it was their conviction... I mean, here's one thing we probably should say up front. We hear the terms pilgrims and Puritans, and maybe we should distinguish those right away or also see what they had in common. Theologically, the Puritans and the pilgrims were on the same page. They had some differences, but in terms of most of their theology, they really wouldn't differ 
uh, essentially from each other. The big thing came to be, of course, how they looked at the church. The Puritans were people who said, well, the Church of England is not perfect, but we've been purifying it since the Reformation broke out. We just need to finish purifying it and get out all the old Roman Catholic elements that are left, like the, the garments that were used or the form of church government. The pilgrims, however, thought that the Church of England had simply gone so far it couldn't really be redeemed. And so they thought that the only honest and honorable course was to separate from it, to have separate congregations. And we, went, we might almost think of them as kind of pioneers of the idea of separation of church and state. That's probably overstating it, putting it in a political format. But that's kind of where they were coming from here. And that's a chief difference between them, although they ended up right next to each other in New England, the Massachusetts Bay with the Puritans, the, the Pilgrims at Plymouth. And eventually, in the late 1600s, they were united into one colony by the British government. And, and so uh, they, they had some harrowing experiences actually leaving England. Um, and some of them, if I recall, were imprisoned uh, for a short time in, in one of those initial attempts. They, they, they get to the Netherlands, and uh, they're there for maybe about a decade, right. as I recall. Um, why would they leave the Netherlands? I mean, uh, it's, they've left everything to go um, across the pond to mainland Europe, and, and now, uh, merely a decade later, they're going to go across a bigger pond uh, to the New World. What, what was going on in the Netherlands that drove that? Well, one thing we kept to keep in mind is in the Reformation, religious liberty was pretty inconsistent. You know, some areas had more than others. And the Netherlands actually had the reputation of being, having some of the greatest religious liberty of anybody in Europe. In fact, even Jews found refuge in the Netherlands where they couldn't find refuge elsewhere. So the, the separatists naturally said, we can go there and have relative freedom. But after a decade or so, they realized, well, for one thing, they were concerned about their children, that their children were becoming Dutch. Uh, and they really didn't want to lose uh, not only their English distinctiveness, but also fearful how it might affect, uh, affect their children spiritually in that kind of atmosphere, that kind of setting. Uh, and they also realized that uh, the Netherlands, although it was better, was not perfect in terms of uh, the religious liberty, and also the fact the Netherlands was supposed to be part of Spain, and they'd fought a, a, uh, a war of independence and had kind of got a grudging release, but it looked like, and in fact it did heat up again, that Spain renewed the war against the Netherlands, and of course the pilgrims were thinking, do we want to be here uh, if the Spanish come again? Uh, so in many ways the New World looked like a safe haven uh, compared to what the Netherlands could be. As much as they appreciated what they got there, they thought that perhaps it would be better to be under the English crown, but with an ocean between them and the king and parliament. Mm -hmm. I think one of the um, interesting facets of, of that decade is that um, the people group that we know as the Pilgrims are in the Netherlands, and toward the end of that decade uh, is the famous Synod of Dort um, in these, uh, these conversations and battles uh, with, within the Dutch Reformed Church about Arminius's writings and teachings. And uh, actually some of the pilgrims, I think, contributed to that uh, before they came over to the New World. We, I, 
we kind of separate, you know, we got the pilgrims in America and we got the Synod of Dort and then you got the Puritans in England, but all of these things are actually very connected historically in those uh, early decades of the 1600s. Oh yeah, that's correct. There was a lot of cross-fertilization. In fact, as time went on the first half of the 17th century, a number of the Puritans in England actually ended up on the continent because there was they had greater liberty there than they did back in England under the Stuarts, which is getting ahead of our story here, with the Stuart dynasty and some of their crackdown against dissenters and separatists and Puritans there. So yeah, there was a lot of this because essentially, I mean, basically speaking, Puritans, Pilgrims, Dutch Reform, they're all coming from a kind of a Calvinistic Reform tradition. So they had a lot in common uh, and that's part of their heritage as well. Now, I think it's uh, easy for us to think of the pilgrims and think of that picturesque painting of them there uh, celebrating Thanksgiving um, and sort of the end result of, of, of what they came to do, uh, which wasn't the end result. It was, it was merely the beginning. But uh, we don't often think about all of the grueling process that it took for them to get to even the new world. Um, And these are real people. Yes, 400 years ago, yes, some different circumstances um, than we have today, but these are real people um, with real religious conviction and real everyday problems um, that they are dealing with, probably more everyday problems than we have in the 21st century, at least of a certain kind. So, Dr. Cushman, um, you actually have a very interesting connection to the pilgrims. It's a personal connection, uh, speaking of these being real people. Uh, Could you explain a little bit of that and sort of uh, what that perspective brings to our understanding of these people? Well, it's always a privilege to be able to talk about your ancestry. Several years ago, we, we did a little bit of a study on that, and I was We've, we've moved since that time, and I had it on, on kind of on a scroll where you could see what that looks like. But it's, it's, it's about Robert Cushman goes back about 12 or 13 generations from, from where I am today. And, and probably a lot of the Cushmans that you find in, in the, in the um, states today are, you know, descended from, from him, I imagine. His name used to be Coachman. And it was changed before he made the um, the preparations for the for the trip. He didn't actually go on the Mayflower, but he was involved in organizing the Mayflower trip. But what what you just said, I really resonated with me as I've looked into his life a little bit. And I and I, you know, Doctor said, well, you got to correct me if I say anything wrong here, because this is not my area at all. Uh, but uh, I, as I look at uh, Robert Cushman's life, it was a life of hardship. He, um, he, he was imprisoned uh, several times um, very early in his life. I think the first time was, was when he was 26 years old. And he, um, he, had, uh, he was passing out literature that was um, going against the, the Church of England. And um, he would speak out. Um, on a on a fairly regular basis uh, against the practices of the Church of England, uh, we find out later on in his in his book, uh, the Cry of a Stone, that he called the the uh, the Church of England wanting and defective, and that kind of sums up. So so he you know he had to do his share of of um, of 
fleeing from the authorities during this period of time. And he was he was part of that group that that went to Leyden and and uh, and lived there. And he got he got married um, before that trip. But then I think about 1616, which in that year in Leyden, he lost his wife and two children, two of his three children perished. And I just can't imagine, um, you know, what that, we, we don't know why they died, but so in that context, uh, he, um, he was involved in the next year of, of going to England to try to work out the details of, of securing a, a land patent to be able to go to the, to the new world. Mm-hmm. So he was chosen along with John Carver to, to, to do that. And um, this was a this was a challenging thing. It took a long time. He 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 got snookered um, during the process. Uh, he they really they really got tricked into a bad deal where they had to um, to work much harder and longer for the Virginia company than they had expected to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just you know he just he was a man of per- persistence through through hardship. And then he never got to take the, the trip on the on the Mayflower, and that's kind of a kind of another story. But I don't know if we're at that point yet. Yeah, well, we're we're very close to that point. Um, as you read of Plymouth Plantation by Bradford, it, it really stands out how significant a character Cushman is in the Pilgrim story, particularly on the commercial side of things. You know, we, we think of freedom, we think of the maybe theological aspects of this, um, but, you know, we live in a world where you have to use money and you have to have relationships, and Cushman was key to all of that. In fact, um, at one point, I think pretty late in the process, he went ahead and made a decision because he, he saw that the deal was about to fall through and so he um, he extrapolated a bit uh, uh, on what had been agreed on because otherwise he, he saw that it, it wasn't going to happen and they weren't ever going to get to the New World, at least through the process that they had uh, been going through. And uh, there, was, uh, there was concern about that from the, the people back in the Netherlands. Uh, but I just think providentially, if, if Cushman um, hadn't, you know, exercise some wisdom in that situation and gone ahead and, and, and pushed through with the deal, uh, we may not be talking about the pilgrims, uh, at least in the same way 400 years later. Yeah, and I, I think that for some reason he was the one that was chosen to do some of the official things, to, to deal with the, the land patent, to negotiate that. Uh, he was the guy that that handled the the official publication. So so when he finally did make it to to the colony, he um, you know he only spent about fourteen days there, and he had to leave his son Thomas. Thomas became a a leader in his own right, became the ruling elder of the church there, and and Cushman had to head back because he had to take the the valuable. Uh, documents that recorded the 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 things that Bradford had experienced and Winslow and and that I I've been told and you can correct me on this uh, Mark that that's one of the most important uh, writings of of that of that time so so he he 
he you know got in the boat to go back to have that published so people could could read about it and and so that others would come too uh, but then French pirates captured the ship and imprisoned the people, took away all their possessions. Thankfully, they didn't take that document. And Cushman managed to get that document finally to, to, uh, to, be, to be published. And he died not too long after that. Um, there was a plague in 1625, but the, he didn't die of that plague. But I, I kind of get the impression reading about his life that he, he was sick um, frequently. And that, and maybe that's why he didn't go on the um, the trip when when the the, the Speedwell and and the Mayflower were heading out, and then they found out that the Speedwell was taking on water. Then they, you know, he he was he didn't make the cut at that time, and I think maybe it was because he was sick. But I, I really don't know. Maybe you know more. No, but it is certainly true that we sometimes don't realize how sick people were most of the time, or how nobody really felt that good, because uh, medicine wasn't the same. I mean, you had headaches, you waited till it went away. There was nothing you could take about it. Uh, so kind of, kind of constantly people had to deal with illnesses today that we don't even think about. Uh, you know, we're talking about a pandemic right now, which has its problems, but really our health care and our level of our health is a whole lot better than what they experienced back then. Uh, and that's why, yeah, uh, they probably just took it for granted. That's just the way you had to live life. There are a couple of uh, groups of people that I thought we could briefly discuss. Um, again, for us, the Pilgrims is kind of a monolithic entity, but these travelers um, on the on the Mayflower were a mixed company. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we always have the Pilgrims as we think about it, but they also had what they called the Strangers. Uh, they realized that they were going to build a colony. They had to have people with the various talents needed to build this community, uh, to provide the skills. And so you couldn't necessarily find all those people just within your church congregation. So there were other people who were not necessarily, I wouldn't say they were antithetical to the pilgrims' ideas, but they weren't part of the church. They weren't necessarily committed to it all, but they wanted to go for various reasons, maybe economic like we were talking about here. Uh, maybe a sense of adventure, maybe even to some degree an escape from some things that were happening to them in England and elsewhere. So they had to bring those people along, and they made their uh, made their contribution. That's why, and one reason, when they found themselves landing much north, or farther north, they were supposed to be. They're supposed to be in Virginia, mm -hmm. and they landed far north. So that's why they drew up the famous Mayflower Compact. Let's put all these people together under a binding document of how we're going to be ruled. We won't rely on just the church discipline. But we're going to have here a political covenant as part of their system as well. So what we think is one of our founding constitutional documents actually goes back to the fact that the pilgrims were saying, how do we deal with our mixed multitude as we land in this new world? Yes. And, and then the other group would be the Native Americans, um, the Indians, as they've been commonly called, that the pilgrims met once they got here. Uh, there had been plagues that had um, rippled through that eastern seaboard and killed quite a, quite a few Indians in the previous years. Uh, we know some uh, major names that have been passed down in history, like, like Squanto. But in the past year, I would say, um, or so, 
the Pilgrims' relationship with Native Americans has really been a subject of intense scrutiny. Um, and so h- how, do, how do we think about this? Um, clearly, their uh, view of um, these Native Americans uh, was, not, uh, was not completely biblically accurate. I think we, we would all affirm. And they um, were not... Um, they were not right in all of their relationships with them. Uh, but how, how can we accurately understand, beneficially understand, this sort of challenging aspect of pilgrim history? Well, it is a tough question. Um, of course, what we have to understand, again, first of all, that you know, the colony was a mixed body. And so if you try to think about, well, the pilgrims are just like the Christians in my church, well, some of them were, and some of them were not, and then others were merely nominal. So you have this kind of mixture. You know, you mentioned like the plagues. A lot of people don't realize that the pilgrims landed in an area that's pretty empty because it had been, the Indians there had been devastated. You see, we sometimes think, well, the pilgrims came first. Well, the Europeans had been coming, the British had been coming uh, to North America and brought disease with them. So before the pilgrims and the Puritans and these groups got there, the Indians were already suffering some of the ravages of European diseases they weren't prepared, they had no immunity to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's that. Some of them, they all professed you know, a belief that we need to protect the gospel to these people. Some of them sincerely believed that. Others let other issues distract them. And sometimes, of course, some people just said they might make a profession of concern but they're all more concerned about themselves and their lands and their homes and their families, and they'll do whatever they think they have to to secure that and to protect that, even to the point of uh, violence against them as well. So uh, we just have to understand it's not like there's one united community with a single viewpoint, even in the earliest days here. There's a certain diversity of people and how they looked at those around them. But having said that, we just do have to say that it looks to us as like one of the failures uh, as a, in true American history in general, the failures to treat the Native Americans properly, uh, to give them their due rights and the, and the like. The pilgrims share to some extent in that common American failing. Mm-hmm. There are um, so many different avenues we could travel down in talking about the pilgrims, particularly on this 400th anniversary um, we have just started down two or three of those in our conversation today. Uh, but as we move toward wrapping up here, uh, what would be a couple of ways in which a, a believer, uh, as, as we are, could give thoughtful consideration um, this Thanksgiving season in particular uh, uh, in, in relation to the pilgrims and in relation to uh, this early period of American history. A- any ways that you would summarize that? Well, I'd just like to say, I mean, I think we all know we're experiencing a pandemic right now, and that involves certain hardships. But when I look at what uh, these people experienced and the the losses that they incurred and their persistence, it, there's just really, um, it, it makes me very thankful for the way that God has provided for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that definitely Thanksgiving uh, may seem obvious, but that is mm-hmm. the point, that they actually uh, are an example to us. Uh, and, of course, they realize God's provision even more than we do. Uh, we sometimes get caught up. I mean, we are thankful, but sometimes we, you know, we have the full you know, 
table at, at Thanksgiving. We have all the turkey and everything there, which we got at the grocery store. We didn't hunt or worry about or grow it ourselves here. Uh, and they re- recognize, you know, in the history of Christianity, in the history of Scripture, the idea of a harvest festival, of Thanksgiving that God has brought in what we need now to sustain us. Thinking back there, well, for us, that sustaining might eventually be something like a vaccine for COVID or something. But the fact is that to be thankful for how God has provided and sustained for us, that's an example we don't want to lose track of, lose sight of. I think it would be fitting to end our podcast with some words from the Pilgrim's pastor, John Robinson. Many of you who are listening are involved in ministry or are preparing for it. So what would you say at a time like this? As Dr. Sidwell mentioned earlier, Robinson did not travel with the pilgrims and actually never made it to the New World. But he wrote these words in the late summer of 1620 as a portion of his flock prepared to embark on their transatlantic voyage that has now become famous. Like all messages, these words have a particular historical context, but they also transcend time because they express the truth of Scripture itself. Robinson is speaking of the traveler's need, among other things, for unity with each other. Here are his words, as recorded in William Bradford's Of Plymouth Plantation. The topic is our unity with each other. And his second point is, Neither yet is it sufficient that we keep ourselves from, by the grace of God from giving offense, except withal we be armed against the taking of offenses when they be given by others. For how unperfect and lame is the work of grace in that person who wants charity to cover a multitude of offenses, as the scriptures speak in 1 Peter 4.8. And his fourth point, but besides these, There are divers motives provoking you above others to great care and conscience this way. As first, you are many of you strangers as to the persons, so to the infirmities one of another. And so stand in need of more watchfulness this way. Lest when such things fall out in men and women as you suspected not, you be inordinately affected with which doth require at your hands much wisdom and charity for the covering and preventing of incident offenses that way. And lastly, your intended course of civil community will minister continual occasion of offense and will be as fuel for that fire, except you diligently quench it with brotherly forbearance. And if taking of offense causelessly or easily at men's doings be so carefully to be avoided, how much more heed is to be taken that we take not offense at God himself, which yet we certainly do so oft as we do murmur at his providence in our crosses, or bear impatiently such afflictions as wherewith he pleaseth to visit us. Store up, therefore, patience against that evil day, without which we take offense at the Lord himself in his holy and just works. been thinking that 400 years later in this year of 2020, we've experienced uncertainty and occasion for tension and disagreement and perhaps discontentment with God's providence. This counsel from the pilgrim's pastor is instructive for shepherds and sheep alike. I'm very grateful for Dr. Cushman and Dr. Sidwell joining me today, and I'm thankful that you have joined us for this episode of Theologically Speaking. 
I want to mention that in this week's show notes, there's a very brief survey that we'd invite you to take a couple of minutes to fill out with your feedback and suggestions for future topics. Thank you in advance. We trust that you will have a blessed week. We wish you a happy Thanksgiving.